United have just put in their best performance of the season against a very talented Tottenham Hotspur side. On today's Devils in the Details, we answer the question, by how many points are Eric Ten Hag's Reds going to win the league? Case, that was a lot of fun. But how meaningful was it? I think pretty meaningful. I think that that is probably the most meaningful performance. Oh, I'll I'll say I was blown away. I I didn't think we were going to play football like that really even this season. I'd I'd sort of resigned to the idea that we weren't going to roll over at least a team as talented on paper as Tottenham are at any point this season. So I I think that was pretty meaningful just because I think it changes what's possible this season. Not necessarily what's going to happen, but what's possible. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think going into these games, I didn't really know what to expect because United were quite dominant against Ammonia, um, Newcastle, and to a lesser extent Everton, despite maybe not having that cutting edge in the final third. Um, But I also thought that Spurs and Chelsea were much stronger teams than maybe those opposition that United have played recently. Um, And I thought it was a little bit of maybe a green sort of indicator that Newcastle on Sunday looked so dominated because I think they're a strong side that imposed themselves a lot on teams. And I thought United outplayed them for long stretches of that game besides the sort of final ball. Um, And so going into this, I kind of thought United might have some of the onus in this match against a team that perhaps liked to play rest defense and counter in many scenarios, but I didn't think they would be able to dominate to this extent. And obviously, whenever that happens, there's a kind of large question of um, how much do the opposition enable that by being poor? And to what extent do United make them look poor? Um, And I saw a a tweet of yours as well, which kind of I thought played on that discussion a little bit as well, where you said, a lot of people maybe would have said Spurs have played like this all season. No, that's not the case. And I agree with you, that's not the case. But I guess the question more around that tweet would be, did Spurs play worse, which allowed United to dominate the game to this extent? Or maybe did United play really well, which actually forced Spurs back and forced them to make mistakes? And I think the answer is obviously to some extent both, but to what extent is maybe where it's more interesting. You said a lot there, so I've got a couple of thoughts. First of all, United's other good performances this season, and I've got good in air quotes, I don't think they were anywhere near as good as this performance was. I think this was one of the best United performances post-Ferguson ever. I would go that far, just because of how much control of the match they had. Spurs never looked like they were in it. Really, their only moments where they even showed flashes were where they were winning individual battles. Uh, or, or they looked to win individual battles, but they were very few and far between. It was pretty comprehensive. In comparison to, say, Ammonia or Everton, which personally I thought were, were not very good performances, though the results were good and there were moments, there were things you could point out that were positive. I, I thought the second Ammonia performance was quite good. The first one was poor. I thought it was fine, given... It didn't really tell us much, I, I don't think. And, and we didn't yeah. see... It, it wasn't... I wasn't particularly impressed by the out-of-possession phases. Maybe that's because the opposition was so poor. But yeah, 
Anyway, moving on to the Newcastle match, which we really didn't talk about much in the last episode. Obviously, with hindsight is twenty twenty, but given how much control we had in that match, I think we can now say it portended a lot of what we saw in this Tottenham match. Because Newcastle was sort of like, Newcastle really did not have many good moments. Their only really cha- their only chance in the match really came from a corner and then a rebound off the post that created an even bigger chance for Joe Ellington, I think. I thought we were good against Newcastle, just dull in the final third. We were even better in this Tottenham match, especially out of possession, and that's what created all of these chances, right? I kind of want to add that you, you sort of see this progression coming from the Everton game, I would say, where the first half United were quite dominant despite conceding early, um, but they kind of lost control a little bit in the second half. Then you have Ammonia, who United pasted for the whole 90 yeah. minutes, but they're really weak. Uh, so you go, okay, it's probably because Ammonia are weak. United should have done this the first time they played Ammonia. Then you have Newcastle, where uh, United 1 did not win the match, which I think often changes the perception of how we view these games. Like, in my opinion, Newcastle is one of the better performances of the season. The fact that United didn't score might have facilitated dominating for the full 90 minutes, where you've seen United go ahead and then kind of drop off. Um, but... Point is, going into this game, then you have a team that is sort of building these fundamentals that you saw today. And you you pointed out out of possession. So the other thing I was going to say is what you have in the Ammonia and Newcastle matches, United switched the, switch the midfield. So where before it was Casemiro Erickson, McTominay Erickson... Um, I think in one match you had Erickson Fred. This match was Casemiro and Fred. And if you look at that directly, switching out, I guess it's the most obvious interpretation is Erickson for Fred. Um, you would look at that and say, that's going to hurt United's ability to dominate games because Fred is much worse in possession than Erickson. And that's a natural train of thought. And that's probably what I thought as well to some extent. But I think what has actually happened is that Fred and his ability out of possession has allowed United to win the ball back in better areas and with much more efficiency, um, which has actually increased the extent to which United dominate these games. And I don't think that's the only difference, but I think it's a big one that underpins United's ability to actually maintain the ball for really long stretches in good areas of these games. I I don't disagree with you. And I I do want to talk about Fred, but I'm going to backtrack a little bit before I address what you just said. You mentioned really how much of a role did Tottenham's tactics play into us dominating this match? And I want to address that before we get into what actually happened. It is true that Tottenham are not like other big sides in that they don't press as high. They concede a lot more territory deliberately. They want to create space by inviting you onto them. All of that is true. Tottenham were very poor in their other two matches against top six sides this season, against Arsenal and Liverpool. They were probably two of the three worst performances Tottenham put in this season. So you could just say, well, everybody's been, everybody serious has been pasting Tottenham, so why do we care? First of all, we don't paste anybody. Like, we, we, we don't beat anybody this comprehensively. Second of all, even if it was Tottenham's plan to invite opposition onto them, Tottenham don't get outshot 19-5 to in the first half of every match. Tottenham don't lose every match 2-0 with, without creating basically any meaningful chances. That's not, like, they would get relegated if they played like the way they played the way today. They played 
they would get relegated if they got beaten as comprehensively as they did today in every match from a performance standpoint. 19 shots is a record first half tally for every single match, every single team in the Premier League this season for context. And United did it against the team that are currently sitting third in the Premier League table and playing in the Champions League. Exactly. So I would say, are Tottenham the best team in the league? No. Do they have tactics that are not typical of big sides? Absolutely. Is this a meaningful performance given the opposition that we played against and how well we played? I think without a doubt, yes. Um, do you Are you in agreement there? Can we agree on that and then move forward from that? Yes. And I'll add one other thing. United historically, let's say Tottenham play more like a bottom half side than a top half side for argument's sake. United historically lose to the bottom half sides and draw with the bottom half sides because they cannot score goals and cannot break them down. So to produce 28 shots, we've seen a few different XG models, but I would guess over 2XG on a, on a good model for this game against a side that play like a bottom half side, but really, really good and with really, really dangerous players to counterattack and give away pretty much nothing defensively is a big performance. We've seen United beat Arsenal and Liverpool Almost playing a little bit more like maybe what Tottenham played like today. That's an oversimplification, but you get my point. But we haven't seen United systemically destroy a block, totally which is agree. what we saw today. Totally agree. So, so extrapolating from what you're saying, this is more meaningful than beating Arsenal or Liverpool. Do you agree? Yes. In the Premier League, yes. Right. And not just because the performance was better today, but because the type, the way the opposition set up has been a bigger problem for us in the past than the, the way Arsenal or Liverpool set up. Yes, I yes. agree. Okay. Okay. So, moving on. What actually happened? Fred. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, obviously, he was even technically erratic in this match. But if you go back to the Newcastle match, if you go back even further to the Sociedad match where he played as the 10, I think we saw a lot of this where... He's such a pain in the opposition half when we press, when we counter-press, that when you put him in a, a comprehensive structure and with somebody who's as good as sweeping up behind him as Casemiro is, and, and Varane and Lisandro, they were all really, really good today and aggressive, and we'll get to that later. I think you basically get what Fred was supposed to be a really long time ago, which is defensively the most advanced midfielder. Out of possession, he's... Being, he's causing havoc. And then also in possession, you sort of push him high uh, in, in certain phases so that he can use sort of a sort of operate as like an, an out of possession threat to drag players high. And that also makes it so that his technicality and his limitations are minimized because you don't put him in positions where he's key to build up. So I think Newcastle, the balance wasn't exactly there. Fred made some really key technical errors that probably had a, a, played a role in us not creating chances that we should have. And, and that was even true today. But he does stuff out of possession that Erickson cannot do, that nobody else in this team can do. And then he also has some positional tendencies in possession that are really valuable, and I don't think anybody else in this side does either. So, yeah, this was a great, this was a great performance from Fred. That's a totally good point. The point about the positional tendencies. Everything else I agree with, I would have said the same. Uh, the, the positional tendencies are really interesting because he makes a lot of sort of... He plays like he's played in a lot of possession teams despite not being good in possession. Does that make sense? He moves like he's played with 
footballers who are brilliant on the ball. So he knows where they want to play the pass and makes those runs so they can pick him out. He runs the channels. He shows in front of the box at the right times. That's why people complain about Fred missing so many shots. Fred actually doesn't take that many bad shots, but he gets into these positions where he actually has good angles pretty often from the edge of the box uh, because of his movement and, and his reading of the game in the final third. Where he kind of fails is his technical execution. The other thing I thought of with Fred is, because I think Fred historically, even under Solskjaer, was excellent in the big games. One of United's best players, pretty much across the two main seasons of Solskjaer. But his role was different. And one, United pressed with a lot more intensity. We've been talking about that a lot. United are pressing with more intensity, taking more risks out of possession than they did under Solskjaer. That's fine. The part that I think is interesting is the distinction of roles within the double pivot. Because under Solskjaer, the double pivot was very much level. So when Fred and McTominay played, if you looked at average positions, if you looked at their shape, they were level. They moved often in tandem. And there was there were games where Fred was deeper, there were games where McTominay was deeper. And, and to extend on that, you would even see that if Matic and Pogba played together. They were level. Matic was sometimes deeper, Pogba was sometimes deeper. Now under Ten Hag, there is a clear distinction that Casemiro, or in other matches, McTominay is the number six, and Fred is the number eight, at least in these last three games. Sometimes with Ericsson, you get variations in buildup. Having that clear distinction changes what Fred can do. And having a player as good as Casemiro, which is what I wanted to talk to talk about next, is what also makes Fred look good. Because what Fred does is take risks out of possession because he has tremendous pressing ability tremendous leap when he starts his runs he gets out of feet really quickly acceleration is the word Um, he accelerates quickly and and gets his opponent fast he's also mentally very fast he's opportunistic yeah exactly he's he he identifies opportunistic moments to be opportunistic very easily Um, yes the problem with that style is that when you are the deepest midfielder like he often was under Solskjaer like he was against Brighton in the opener If you make a mistake doing that, it's a free run at the back four. If you're playing with a defensive midfielder like McTominay behind you, it becomes a run straight at McTominay when he makes mistakes. If you have him in a disciplined role where you have the best defensive midfielder at defending on the planet behind him, it becomes a huge asset because what he can do is put the opposition on the back foot trying to play out and force them into mistakes with the knowledge that even if they bypass him, they still have another defensive layer to deal with in Casemiro. Yeah, absolutely agree. And so, you know, I'll caveat this because this is one match where we've played this comprehensively well, right? And uh, we could be really leaning heavily into some outcome outcome bias. That's true, but I'd also say it's three matches where this has happened. True, absolutely. I agree. And you know what? What I'm about to say, I, I believe, and, and the conversation we've been having, I think these are things that we both thought could come to fruition, um, and we intimated in previous pods and in previous conversations we've had, but you know they were pie in the sky because we never actually saw it. I actually think this Casemiro-Fred pivot, and I've got pivot in air quotes because of what you just described, it's not really a pivot, Fred's getting much, much higher, um, is it might be our our, our best midfield base, not just because of the reasons we've already discussed, but also because we're still, we're still going long from goal kicks. And 
that's going to cause problems for us building up. When you're not building all the way from the back, you're necessarily forcing the opposition defensive line deeper, which means it's harder to create big chances. A way to counteract that is to get a, a midfield and, and just to generally to press really high and have a dual proficient midfield that allows you to get high high regains and score off the press as opposed to playing back to front but doing it in a stagnant way which is going long from goal kicks and then trying to win second balls. If instead you do what we did today, which is you basically suffocate the opposition and you never create phases where you're transitioning slowly from defense to attack and you cut out build out build up in a certain to a certain extent. That might be the best version of this team right now with the personnel we have. And so I think in some ways we might have found a solution to, to some of the things that we felt have ailed us earlier in the season. And I would also say we've talked a lot about how playing out of the back places a ceiling or sorry, not playing out of the back places a ceiling on this team. And I still believe that. Yep. But it, it's worth knowing it's worth noting that teams that are better than United, a lot of them actually do this. Liverpool is probably the best example. They play long balls better, and they press still better. But players like Casemiro and Fred are beginning to unlock that sort of bracket of player who can actually really execute a high press. And what that allows you to do is play more... It 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 makes it less sacrificial to play speculatively from the back. When you're really, really good at something, counter-pressing, for example, it, it hides deficiencies in other phases. That said, Liverpool are good at playing out from the back. And when they've been at their best, they've been good at playing out from the back. But point taken, they are still they are still very good. But they they do it less than say yes, City yes. or Chelsea or Barca or Bayern. Yeah, and specifically going back to our our goal kick obsession, they do a lot less of the really short goal kicks in order to draw opposition onto them. Um, so yes, I agree. Uh, Liverpool are sort of an example of a really high level of football that you can achieve without being positionally obsessed and build up obsessed in the first phase. Okay, so here's my next question. Casemiro and Fred could be the best base for this team in most games. If that is the case, what can United do with that third slot to make it optimal? I, I firmly believe Bruno will play throughout the season. I'm more commenting on how effective you believe his execution out of possession is and how much you believe he compensates for the weaknesses that Casemiro and Fred might have in possession. And if you don't perhaps think those things are good, could another player in the squad offer that? Bruno was good today. In general, we played well. He created a lot of chances. I thought chances. he was great. Um... Yeah, Bruno was good, and, and so I'm not gonna. I don't really want to make this a, a a podcast where it's where we like nitpick on the things that we've been talking about all year, and and you know thump our chests about the things that we got right or seem to have gotten right. But Bruno made more mistakes out of possession than any other player in the team. Uh, I think I might actually put together a video about this, or maybe just some screen caps. When we did make pressing mistakes and when we did make it easy for Tottenham to play through us today, it was because Bruno made mistakes going man-to-man in their in their third. And he will get better. But 
If there's a weak link right now anywhere in the team defensively, I would say it's still Bruno. But then on the other hand, he scored and he created a ton of chances. At least I don't think you have grounds to drop him right now. And I, I don't think that's like the where the biggest marginal improvement we can have right now is. Though I take your point. I wasn't making a point to be clear. I was asking. So, okay, rather than I take your point, while there are things that he doesn't do that neither Fred and Casemiro do that I would like to have in midfield, like, for example, carrying the ball, which we've talked about in the past, I think right now you cannot drop him, and I would not advocate for dropping him, though I would keep an eye on his ability to pick up the man-to-man press as well as the rest of the team has, since we're already on him. His shot selection today was sub-optimal, and though we were so good, and he was good generally, it didn't matter. A performance as dominant as we were today out of possession should have yielded more high-quality shots, and part of why that happened is because Bruno's really shot-happy, sometimes in moments where he shouldn't be. Um, But these are just things we know about him. These are flaws he has, even though he's a very good player, and he he had a very positive effect on the match today. We know about the shot selection. That's an issue, I would say a relatively minor issue, but an issue. The out of possession is a larger issue, but something we expect him to improve at. The other question around Bruno that we've had in the past is his ability um, to execute as a possession midfielder Mm -hmm. in non-attacking situations, both in terms of his deep passing, his press resistance, his carrying of the ball. And I think those issues only become more prevalent in a situation where you drop Erickson. Here is my question. Sancho started at left wing in this game instead of Rashford. And I guess you could argue instead of Ronaldo because Ronaldo was the player who was benched. Rashford just moved position. Does having players like Sancho and Anthony open up the possibility of changing how you use Bruno situationally in buildup and in possession? Could maybe you run plays with Sancho centrally in certain phases? I'm asking these questions as someone who does not know rather than someone who has an opinion. Um, so Bruno actually played right wing at the end of this match when McTominay came on for Anthony. So I think this yeah. is something that's being experimented with. And he played right wing uh, in the last mm-hmm. 20 or so minutes against Ammonia. Yep, he did. I don't think this is a crazy idea. Uh, I, I, so let me rewind. Sancho. Sancho, I think, was the worst player on the pitch today of, of United's 11. He wasn't like awful, but he had a lot of bad touches, especially early on. Didn't create a ton of threat. Uh, even though he had good moments, it wasn't like a, a disaster class by any stretch of the imagination. And we've talked about putting him centrally in the past. Ultimately, though, I don't know if I would suggest Sancho as a solution to anything until you can get his confidence back up. Because I think right now his technical execution levels are not as high as he's capable of. But yeah, what say you? What do you? What exactly do you have in mind here? Well, like I know, I know you said you didn't have an answer, but well, what do you think? I don't have anything specific in mind, but I guess watching Bruno's performance today, one thing that really that I thought was prevalent was, especially with his goal and with his goal that was ruled out, was he is a brilliant operator in like the final third box area as the goal scorer. Forget the creator; like he's a great goal scorer and. If you could come up with a configuration where maybe he starts wide in certain plays and Sancho starts centrally, then you involve him more in the areas where he can really make an impact and remove him from the areas where he maybe struggles a little bit more. 
And you also get some of that ball carrying, perhaps a little bit more ability under a press, and, and some more of those aspects of the team that become a little bit more of a problem when when you replace Erickson with Fred. It's It's all speculative at this point, but I'm just wondering if maybe there's a way to get, whether it's playing Bruno wide, if that could get more out of out of United in possession against these teams and get Bruno closer to goal, I think you also solve a secondary issue, which is movement inside the box that facilitates creative passing. Because right now, even in this game, I think the 28 shots is fantastic, but I also think a lot of those shots are a product of not facilitating better final balls um, that lead to better shots. And I think a lot of that is bad decision-making, but I also think a lot of that is uh, not having a dedicated striker in this team. Rashford is not a striker. He's a winger. I'm pretty confident at this point. No, I, I don't disagree with you. I don't think Bruno's box movement is actually that good. Uh, maybe maybe people will disagree with me on this. I think it's functional. I think he has certain ideas of where goals come from. I don't love all the positions he takes up in the box. I don't love the times he chooses to take runs as opposed to offer short. Just because I think he places a greater priority on getting off a shot as quickly as possible than he does on getting the best shot off. Sure, but is that also an issue that could perhaps be alleviated by playing a player in that central role in the half spaces who's less more likely happy. to situationally? Yeah. yeah. Yes, maybe. I'm not going to tell you no. I will say a huge part of how this side builds up right now is the width of the wingers. And also, I would say an underrated thing this whole season since Anthony came in has been the impact that having a left-footed right winger at the right touchline has on our ability to recycle possession, get out of pressing triggers, create threat, even without Anthony having been brilliant. He pulls markers away. And that's also, I would also argue that is a part of Anthony's skill set. If you give him space to cut in, he's lethal. If you don't give him space to cut in, maybe he has to work on some stuff. But the fact that you can't let him cut in forces a lot more situational marking on the right yep. wing based on who is picking up the yep. ball. Yep, and you're already seeing him start to get down the touchline a little bit more because teams don't. I thought he was good today. I thought he was good. I think it's clear that he uh, he's not like a an elite. He's not going to be an elite 1v1 guy because he doesn't really have like great power in his legs. And it makes him a little too timid to get down the touch down the touchline sometimes in in situations that are true one v ones, and you'd expect him to take somebody on. Uh, but more and more, I think people are getting scared of the fact that he can cut in, cut inside, and so he's getting down the touchline more, which I think is a good thing. However, I digress. Um, as for tying that back into what we were talking about with Bruno, I think the the best way to do what you're intimating we do, what you're suggesting maybe without meaning to suggest it but is would be to put Bruno Bruno at right wing but I I don't think you can I think Anthony needs to be in this side I, I I'm not sure there's a, a good creative solution to this where like you swap somebody in a certain phase to get Bruno out of there I hope there is maybe there is but I don't see it or at least I'm not creative enough to come up with it it's an interesting conundrum we spent about five minutes speculating now and yeah, I'm going to run it to a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to discuss a little bit more about why Tottenham created so few chances outside the midfield out of possession, 
uh, and a little bit more about the sort of edge cases in the side. We've spoken a lot about De Gea. I'm sure that's going to come up in the second half. Stay tuned for that. All right, welcome back to the Fred Fan Podcast. In the second half today, we're going to be discussing a little bit more about the defense and the attack, I guess. We spent most of the first half on midfield, which I feel was fitting given that it underlied so much of the performance in the last sort of 10 days of United. I thought the center backs were also phenomenal today, uh, especially Lissandro Martinez. So what were your thoughts? Yeah, um, I thought they played their role to a T. Kane was pretty quiet in this match. There were moments where he could have had a really big impact, and I think the center backs dealt with him really well. I think, In particular, there was a moment where Kane dropped back, got the ball on the turn. He had a moment to play in Son, and Son was going to be in, and Varane just went straight through him, fouled him. I don't even think he got a yellow. He probably should have gotten a yellow just because of the threat of the situation. And I think that sort of underscores... Or, or sort of it was a highlight. It was a highlight of how well they handled two of the best forwards in the league. And they, they, were, they had a lot of space to operate in. United were very high up the pitch in this match. And um, they did what they had to do. More than that, I'll go a step further. And I'll, I'll rope Casemiro into this too. The three of them were hyper-aggressive. Yes. And, and I think, the key, I think yes. the key thing was United went man-to-man in the press, high up the pitch in certain situations. They did that pretty effectively. The forwards did their job. Where United have been undone, especially I think you saw this last season under Rangnick against Brighton, right? and really in both matches against Brighton, were where United would go man-to-man, or they'd... I'm not even sure you could call it going man-to-man because I'm not sure it was entirely intentional in both of those matches, but they, they get drawn high up the pitch. They're not particularly well-organized, but they do force the ball back to the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper just picks somebody out over the heads of the first the first line of defense, which would be your forwards and Bruno and Fred maybe in this match. In those situations, Spurs did not have the the options and the space to play into, to just play past our press, and that is because Varane, Lisandro, and Casemiro were so effective in this match um, at eating up those spaces. Yeah, so in terms of Lisandro, Varane, and Casemiro, I thought this was actually a really good match to display the athletic advantages that having a back four like that can have, or a back three. When we say back three, we're talking about the center three. Yes. Casemiro, Varane, Lissandro. Yeah, so they are super aggressive, but what enables that is they always get to the man. And the the instance you had that, that you said where Varane fouls Kane is a good example because Varane gets there, loses the duel, and then commits the foul. And why that matters is because even though he lost the duel, Varane is very dominant in duels, historically a great center back. Even when he lost the duel, he was able to get the foul in, which prevented Spurs from being able to create anything in the actual transition situation, which forces them to either then recycle or take a set piece, right? Having that level of aggression and athleticism in the back line, Lissandro's another one. A lot of people interpret Lissandro as unathletic, and I actually think Lissandro being short, this is a good match to explain why it has advantages, because he's really quick off the ground. Yes. He is very, very good at using his low center of gravity to his advantage, 
And this is a match where you see Lissandro using his ability to get off the ground quickly, to get in blocks. You see him making a lot of uh, actions that kind of throw off the forwards when they're about to make a pass. Getting around getting around Kane in yes. moments where Kane yes. thought he had turned him. It happened more yeah. than once. Um, and that really it prevents Kane from having that effect that he has against so many teams where he drops off of the back line, yeah. takes a generally not-so-agile center back into space that they don't want to be in. Kane is so technical, he turns them and he plays somebody into, into the space where the center back is vacated. Lissandro, you can't do like that. Yes. And finally, it allows them to cover for each other. So when one of them is aggressive and loses a duel, the other one is there. The other one is able to delay the attack, is able to maybe get a challenge in if the ball is loose after the lost duel, or is able to commit a foul if as long as they're not the last, last man. And they are expert decision makers at doing this. They are both really good at knowing when to delay, when to challenge, and when to um and when to and when to step in basically and lissandro is as a bonus also really good at playing the ball so there were moments where he would have a very loose ball and convert that into attack like instantly which is awesome in general no in general i think that lays a huge platform for united to play on um when you had a pivot of McTominay and Fred we talked about fred's gambling McTominay is kind of similar he also jumps into situations a lot that platform is really bad when it's deep because when the opposition's running at you you cannot rely on them to either delay the situation and allow other players to get back or uh successfully engage in a duel and win um at a successful rate and having that platform is key to playing in this high pressing style because the mistakes are a lot less um punishable i think we're kind of good on that topic I think Luke Shaw has reinvented the team a lot. I like Malasia. I think Malasia is good. And I think for a lot of the reasons that I've sort of stated that Casemiro, Fred, Lissandro, Varane are good, I think a lot of them apply to Malasia as well. That being said, Shaw's ability on the ball is so good. Man, like I... Sometimes I forget. He is really good. He can pick out passes and build up. He can pick out passes in the final third. He can switch the ball, he can break lines, he can play in behind, over the top. Like, just, he has such a good locker of passing. And that really changes the game when you have a team where uh, a lot of the players are, like, very aggressive, but not really great on the ball. Players like Casemiro, Fred, Varane. Uh, Having that player who can make really good decisions on the ball, not lose it much, and consistently progress it up the field is a huge asset that most teams don't have at fullback. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, Shaw was excellent in this match. How much do you think this is down to? We we, we hear a lot about like, oh, Shaw always gets better when there's competition. I think um, that's crap. But uh, yeah. so okay, so that was my question. How much do you think this? Do you, how much do you think this is down to competition? How much do you think this is down to new training methods? How much of, the, of this do you think is down to intensity slash fitness? Shaw looks really good again, as well as as good as he did two seasons ago. Why? Let me, yeah, let me sort of clarify when I say I think that's crap. I don't agree with assertions that Shaw has a mentality issue where he doesn't want to be in his top form enough unless someone else is threatening to take his spot. That is the part that I think is nonsense. 
I also think it's associated with a lot of uh, negative and totally incorrect, biologically incorrect um, assertions about his athleticism and physicality, which is why I attempt to shut those down as quickly as possible, especially given the situation around the fact that he had his leg split in three at the age of like 19. And I think a lot of this discourse ignores the fact that that injury, and even before that injury, there was a lot of evidence to suggest that he just has this body type, kind of like Wayne Rooney, and he also now has these injuries to deal with that really make it difficult for him to get into top shape. And I think, if I were to even speculate further, I would say that having players like Tellez and Malasia allows him to play less frequently and reduces the reliance on him, allowing him the environment that he needs to get into the shape that he needs to play his best game. And I don't think that's a mentality issue. I think what that is, is giving talented footballers the circumstances they need to thrive, which is what all good clubs do. Yeah, I I, I think that the second to last point you made there, which was how much of this is competition versus how much of this is Shaw getting a normal workload because there's somebody else who can play matches. I think that's a really good point. Um, because you, even if you look back when Tillis was with the, with the side, if you wanted to you know, argue against that, you could say, oh, well, Shaw, Tillis didn't even really play that season. Shaw played really well. It was just competition. But the reality of it is early on in the season, Tillis played matches. He did not play well. Shaw got himself and worked himself into the side, played excellently, was the best left back in English football that season. And then the next season he was bad. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know this for sure, but it sure seems to me like an injury prone player like Shaw getting that huge workload could have driven him into the, and playing through injury could have driven him into the ground again. Um, So just in general, I think this is, adjacent to something you just said, I am against speculating as to work ethics of professional athletes in general, unless you've got really good evidence. And I think it's usually there's, there's a better explanation. And I think that is a good example of a potential better explanation in this instance. Yeah. So I think we're both kind of, we both kind of share those views about people who have no idea what they're talking about outside the game, speculating about the mental um, aspects of human beings inside the game. We both share that. Or the biological aspects. Like a lot of people who are not sports scientists like to have opinions about the science of sport. A lot of people (laughs) Um, who are sports scientists and have imperfect information about situations also try to do it. And I'm also not a fan of that, but Going back to the point about Shaw, I think maybe one area you could argue Tellez helped him was set pieces. Like, I think there's a notable sort of point where Shaw becomes good at set pieces, and it's probably because he, Tellez, and Bruno's talked about this, Shaw, Bruno, Tellez, and he said Fred stays back for fun, I think. Um, (laughs) Work on set pieces together. Besides that, I think Shaw, what really, in in my view, from a non-mental, from a tactical standpoint differentiate Shaw's performance from the start of season from last season and the season before when he was great to now is a few things one is how alert he is in terms of how quickly he's able to get into positive situations and that's really important for a fullback often they 
these guys like Shaw and Dalo are playing in a system where they have to be in midfield at times. They have to overlap at times. They have to underlap at times. And if you're not quick enough to read the, to, to be able to respond to the triggers uh, that prompt those runs, you often don't get into as good positions as you could be in if you do read them. And I think when Shaw's not fully in shape, he often gets the ball in worse positions and that makes his kicking more speculative and that makes his ability limited. And the other thing I think is when the team is good versus when the team is bad, that makes a big difference on players who are very good, mainly at creating impact that is fed upon by others. So Shaw is a creator and Shaw is a player who builds, but building through passing and creating through passing requires a receiver. So when United are bad, Shaw has less ability to pick out players who are making fewer runs and facilitating fewer chances. There's a great play against, I think it was Newcastle, where someone makes a spectacular run in behind. I think it was Bruno. And Shaw just hits it over the top to him. That's a great pass. And I think... I think, it's, I think it was Rashford. It might have been Rashford. You might That's be right. a great example of a play that is impossible no matter how good of a passer you are if the run is not made. Right? And that's why I like that example, because it's really simple and it shows you need someone who's actually running in behind for you to play a pass in behind. It's not just like, why does Pogba and why does Sancho never find anyone in behind? It's because no one's running in behind. Um, And defensively, when the team is falling apart behind him, that exacerbates the errors he makes and creates situations that are harder for him to defend it. And I think if you fix all of those issues, which are very fixable, and you get Sean to a position where he's in full fitness... Even if it doesn't completely solve the problem and there are other issues at play, you probably get a lot of the way there. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think in a lot of cases, all over the pitch, I think we're seeing instances of players' roles getting simplified a little bit more. And also players' fitness getting back to their top level. And then also complementary profiles. This is a, a lot of stuff that we've been talking about for a really long time coming together. Uh, for United, and you're seeing changes in form for players who have otherwise been spotty. Let's, Uh, speaking of... But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves because this is, again, this was this is our first performance like this. So, Um, So, speaking of players who are doing better in sort of more functional environments that facilitate them, I think Dalo's been a case this season where he's played a lot better because the circumstances facilitate him playing well and allow the team to be rewarded for the contributions he makes. Um, I think you had some thoughts on Dalo today. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I think Dalo was good today, but I do think the moments that Tottenham had where they really looked like they could score, which were few and far between. So, so this really isn't like, Oh, Dalo was terrible today. He was good. The moments that Tottenham had were typically Moments where Perisic was exploiting Dallow's, I would say, weakness. Not necessarily 1v1, but like closing down crosses. i say he's not very good at it. And it, it created vulnerability today. Uh, there were, I wouldn't even call them chances, but there were openings that were created because of that. How much of a, are you concerned about that? And if so, how much? How, how good do you think Dallow was today in general? Like, Well, it's always good to work on this stuff on the training ground, and I'm sure they do. I guess my thing is, I don't, this sounds like a strange thing to say about a fullback, but I don't really see 1v1 ability defensively as like a main facet of this role. 
Um, and so it only becomes a real concern in terms of Dalo if you can find a fullback who replicates what he does do well and also is better 1v1. And I think if you look at most of the attacking fullbacks in the game right now, most of them are not better 1v1. Um, some of them are better on the ball, but most of them aren't better 1v1. And I actually think it's it's interesting that it's Perisic, right? Because I thought Dalo got the better of Perisic a couple of times in this game. And Perisic is playing as a fullback, functionally. Like, I mean, I know he's a wingback, but he's still basically playing in a defensive role where he was being squared up 1v1 by both Dalo and Anthony at times. And he was a problem. Yeah, this was Dallas' best match in the final third. Final yeah, and I mean, and I wouldn't see anyone allege that playing Perisic there is not worth it because he provides tremendous impact on the ball. So I don't see why it's really different with someone like Dallo. I think at some point this season, Dallo's going to, like, you know how, like, maybe every other match he goes on some mazy run because nobody expects him to keep on taking up space. Everybody, like, the opposition just seems to think he's going to pass, he's going to pass, he's going to pass, and then he winds up in the opposition box and just takes some awful shot. I think he's going to score a banger this season. Like, I think he's going to, like, go on some long run with the ball and then just rocket it, like, top corner or something like that. Like, I think he's just, he's going to be due eventually. It's not even because I think he's so good at it. But, yeah, I I thought he was really good today. Uh, Collected a lot of loose balls, made some really good passes, was pretty good in the final third. I still want him to get to the byline more, and I still want Anthony to release him to the byline more. Because I really, I think that we're really missing that. I think the shot quality today was still poor, and I think that's like probably, you know, uh, the big thing. I think we can improve on from today, and I think a big part of that is releasing the fullbacks to the byline and releasing the midfielders as well to the byline. I, I'd like to see Bruno make more underlapping runs, like in behind that aren't goal scoring runs, more more to get to the byline, create cutback situations. Um, because I think that is still what we lack. Like, if I had to really nitpick and be like, this is my problem with the performance, it was the shot quality. Yeah. Um, and I think that part of that is the fullback performance. Yeah, so 28 shots, and most models say somewhere between 1.5 and maybe, let's say, generously 2.3 XG. And any of the any of that range puts United below the average for shot quality. Yeah. I'm going to be annoying and say I'm pretty sure... When stats bombs numbers come out tomorrow, they will be above two point three. And interesting, j- just because they were already at one, they were already at one point four at halftime, and I think our biggest chances came after halftime. Even though we had fewer shots, I think we only had nine shots. I think either way, there were a lot of bad shots, and I think the XG as a performance indicator is probably flawed because Bruno's goal yeah. that was ruled offside by one the... inch was probably very high XG. He basically kicked into an open yeah. net. So I mean, it, I'm sure it was probably like point eight, but it. Whatever, That's fine. whatever. Let's not talk about just okay. XG. It's not the point. Yeah. Speaking of shots, I thought Terry on Ray's bit of analysis on Rashford was really interesting um, and accurate. He's so funny, isn't he? He like I am sure his analysis. I know what you're gonna say, but or I think I know what you're gonna say. But Henri really thinks everybody is Henri. <laughs> like it's so funny seeing him do analysis, and he's like, oh, he should have caressed the ball bottom right corner in this situation it's like nobody does that like you're the only player who ever did that (laughs) like and that's why he was so great i totally think he backs anthony marcial to do it (laughs) which okay i and i would too fair enough like it's not like nobody does it yeah marcial's a great finisher i don't expect rashford to be that good rashford's better at other things rashford was dangerous in this game i thought united were better because they played rashford i don't think rashford is a striker 
And yeah, I thought he had two chances that he could have taken better. And I think while I don't believe in overanalyzing finishing, and I also believe that the saves from Larice, especially the one on the play on Ray commented on, were spectacular. So, so super amazing saves. I do think Rashford's approach could improve, especially on the one v one. He need, he has time and space. He just needs to keep a cool head and create a better shot for himself by taking time on the ball. And that's not the type of thing that shows up in overperforming XG. That's the type of thing that shows up in having higher XG because you manipulate the ball better and the percentage of the shot going in rises regardless of the quality of the shot. It's funny because I think in instances he's really smart about how he takes 1v1s. Um, yes. The good examples being against Liverpool this season where he, he opens up like he's going to drive the ball far post and then he just drills it near post instead. He's very good at shooting in space, and he gets incredible power on it. Yep, and I, I think somebody said that Rashford is a rare example of a player who is a better finisher when he has time to think than when he doesn't. What do you think of that? Because it seems to me like you're contradicting that, like you're saying the opposite. I wouldn't say the opposite. I don't think he had a ton of time to think on the second chance here. I think if he no. pauses to think, the tackle comes in. I... Yeah think in the first chance he misreads the situation and it's probably not a major issue but it's something he could improve on because i think he reads the situation as i think it was the leipzig game where he scored a hat trick and he has the ball on that sort of right side of the box and once he gets into the right spot and his feet are sorted he just like whips it into the bottom corner and he gets incredible, like I said a couple seconds ago, he gets incredible power on that shot. And he gets like a nice looping motion on it where it's like a yes. foot or two off the ground, yes. which is a nasty way, like it's a nasty elevation to save it at. It's above like an outstretched foot, but it's below an outstretched hand. So unsavable when he gets that right. Um, I just think that if he, because his feet are set, he takes the shot. I just think he could actually get that out of feet and get an even better shot off in that situation. And I... I point that out specifically because people uh, normally I won't criticize finishing because I believe that he will fluctuate to the mean. He's not a bad finisher. He's fine. But it's a situation that would actually lead to him having higher XG instead of a situation where he overperforms. And I think that's interesting. So, so what, so what exactly is the suggestion here? And, the, and just so we're clear, we're talking about the, the chance where he gets played through in the first half by Fred. Yes, it's Fred. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and so you're suge- you're suggesting in that situation you would like him to I think he has time to take a touch. Basically. Take a touch around Lloris and just No, not around Lloris. Lloris is not it. coming out. Lloris is rooted. Like he's got I think he's got space. So I just pulled up the package here and Lloris is rooted and so that does favor Rashford if he takes a touch there. So I guess my point is just he should be reading the movement of the goalkeeper. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. It is a bit pedantic, angle, but, but yeah. it's the type of pedantic thing that makes a, you know, that, that affects your XG over time. And it also affects, um, you know, whether United win this match because Fred's goal, the breakthrough ultimately came from a deflection. So, yeah. you know, if United yeah. don't take these chances, sometimes they don't win games. And yeah, it's an interesting opportunity to turn a good chance into a great chance. Um, yeah, agreed. All right. I think we've covered just about everyone now. There's one left. 
<laughs> There's one left. You're right. All right. A lot of people seem to think De Gea has improved a lot on the ball. And I actually err in the direction of agreeing. I think he has improved. The question is, how much and how good do you think he was in this game? So I think he made some good passes. Um, in particular, I remember one that he just ripped at Shaw. That was perfect. Really nicely like driven to the right foot, long distance. Not under pressure, and it didn't really cut anybody out, but it was a good pass. I would say, especially over longer distances, there is a lot of luck in small sample sizes passing the ball. And I will substantiate this with, rather than statistics, with some logic that extrapolates out some statistics. It takes about 300 shots for uh, a player shooting the ball to for their finishing ability, and I've got finishing ability in quotes, air quotes here, um, to stabilize. And what that means is it takes 300 shots to really know exactly how good somebody is at shooting the ball. Shooting the ball is a lot easier to do than passing the ball over distance. The reason, or, or rather, it should be less variable, and that's because the goal does not move. Only you move in relationship to the goal. And also, you're typically shooting closer to the goal than you are passing over long distances to, to teammates. So, generally, I would say, to really judge somebody's long-distance passing ability, you need to see a ton of passes. And you can, you can judge their technique um, to get to sort of shorten that. But I would say De Gea's technique hasn't really changed. Um, and if that changes, I will admit it. I'll put... I'll, I'll say so on the on this podcast. I will say so, but I would say so far his technique has not changed, and he hasn't hit so many passes to convince me that he's gotten better at this. So while I agree the results have been better the last few matches, I would say for now I am still a skeptic. Um, and also, it's not just about passing, uh, right? Like it's about how he handles pressure. It's about him coming for crosses. There's a lot more to the qualms we have about Taya. What do you think? I agree with that. I think you can, again, I think you can make his decision-making better. You probably struggle a little bit more the more pressing there is. I think some of his passes have been better. There were some at the start that were completely off, and now he's at least getting it into remotely the right area of the pitch. I just also think that a lot of the good outcomes he's getting are resulting from speculative balls that happen to go well mm -hmm. as opposed to calculated good passes the one to shaw was good there was one to yeah. i think bruno on the right wing where he like zips it and it's a nice idea but it hits the man so hard that like the second touch is a ball loss and yeah. those i think are signs that he could be getting better at aiming his passes and hitting and hitting targets uh, but I think he's a long way from being, you know, a goalkeeper who can execute uh, playing out of the back, which should be the long-term goal of this team. And I also think the types of passes he's playing are not necessarily the types of passes the ideal goalkeeper makes in the ideal system of this team, which means that his role is being changed to adapt to what he can do. And unless he's so good in the role that it becomes beneficial for United to play that way long term, which I doubt, he's just doing well in the circumstances that are given to him. So basically, to summarize that, 
I think he has gotten better at playing the role within this system. I think he is showing signs of becoming a better passer and a better decision maker. I don't think his performances are as good as the outcomes of his actions. And I do think that the eventual role that the goalkeeper will play in Ten Hogs United is very different to the role that De Gea is playing right now. Yeah, I think I agree with almost all of that, or really all of it. Uh, what this goes back to is a conversation we had probably half a dozen episodes ago where we said De Gea, the, the thing with De Gea is not that he has to get better. It's that he has to get so much better that he is one of the best players in the world at doing all of these things that he's currently not very good at. And he's not young to be learning to, to go from not good to elite at these skills and what he needs to do is to get to elite and so right now i would say signs are maybe he's getting better signs are not that he's anywhere near elite i agree with that on that note i feel like we've covered everything we can possibly cover at least on the pitch (laughs) i don't want to talk about that i think it's okay Okay. I think it, I think it's best yeah. to uh, treat it with silence. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I will leave this in. Awesome. Okay. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.